I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Welcome to Live Wire Radio. As always, I am backstage here at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, about to get the show started. And it's going to be a good one. We've got comedian Bree Pruitt stopping by. Also, Live Wire friend, the poet Scott Poole will favor us with something he wrote this week. Plus, we've got music from Christopher Paul Stelling. All that and a guy named Rinker Buck will be here. A few years ago, Rinker Buck and his brother decided they were going to retrace the Oregon Trail from Missouri all the way out to Oregon in a covered wagon with a team of horses. Because it turns out, and I had no idea this was the case, that most of the Oregon Trail is still intact and the ruts are still there. And the people who are into this whole thing have the best nickname ever. They're called Rut Nuts. And we're going to meet a Rut Nut right now. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... LiveWire! Recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's LiveWire! With author and Oregon Trail reenactor, Rinker Buck, comedian and one of my favorite people in the world, Bree Pruitt, music from Christopher Beth Snelling, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of LiveWire, he's in it for the long haul, and his CV handle is Taterbug, Luke Burbank! All right. Thank you very much, Alex Falcone. Usually this is the part of the show where I say thank you very much, Jason Rouse, because Jason Rouse is our usual announcer on the program. But this week, Jason Rouse had surgery on his Achilles tendon, which he ruptured. They've been busy unrupturing it at Providence Hospital here in Portland. And we thought we would check in with Jason. So here live on the phone from his hospital room is our typical announcer, Mr. Jason Rouse. Hi, Jason. Hey, Luke. Good evening, everybody. How you feeling, you man? Warm? Um, I've been better, although I'm not terrible, thanks to 30 milligrams of Toradol um, coursing through my body. I'm feeling great. How did you rupture your Achilles, by the way? Uh, I was doing a play this summer uh, in Portland, 
and uh, a wonderful slash terrible actor uh, did some new blocking, and I tripped over him, and I did a really fast fall onto my knee, which my foot pulled it in front of me, and it snapped it in two. So it was I'd terrible. heard it was a and gruesome injury, but I guess not. No, that was really, it was great. And it wasn't diagnosed for about uh, two months properly, so I walked around for about three months on it. We all just thought you were faking, I'm going to be honest with you. I know. Well, the 12-inch incision I now have uh, begs to differ. Um, Are you going to get one of those cool knee scooters? Um, I'm going to do one better. I've got a a hands-free crutch called the iWalk 2.0. It's essentially a peg leg. Uh, And uh, it looks ridiculous. It feels dumb. But I can take stairs with it. And uh, people can laugh at me in the hallway, as they've been doing uh, the last few days. So everybody wins. Do they really call it the eye crutch? Like, just a small eye and then a large C? I'm like, oh, sorry, it's, it's the eye walk. Oh. The little eye walk. The eye walk 2.0. Harrison Ford used it, oh, which is, okay. I think, why I bought it. Well, listen, man, we're thinking of you, and we miss you. Thanks, man. I really appreciate the phone call. And I love everyone. The... Uh, the theme we've picked for this episode is the long haul, which uh, will make sense as we get some of our guests out here. I entered into something that was a long haul, and I didn't even realize it. My wife and I recently moved to a new town, and uh, some of the regular listeners will say, wait a minute, Burbank, didn't you guys move to a different small town a year ago? And the answer is yes, we move a lot. <laughs> We're on the run. Um, <laughs> Got a lot of credit problems, uh, mostly with the Columbia House CD of the Month Club. I don't even know why I'm getting those anymore. Um, And then there was a time I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die, which did not think through, uh, looking back on it. So we moved to this new town, and uh, we decided to buy a house, and we thought we'll do some remodeling on the house. Like, we'll change it a little bit. But when we got in there and we started, like, moving walls and tearing things down, every project just created, like, five more projects. And it was just, what can you pull on the string on a sweater? We just kept pulling and pulling and pulling on the string until we had no house to wear. Um, Just a pile of, like, drywall debris and weird backsplash decisions that were made by the previous owners and all the floors in the house we decided to rip out for some reason. So those are in a pile uh, to the side of the house. When we got to this point, we realized we are in this for the long haul and we can't live in the house because it's, you know, it's just too dusty and dirty. So luckily our dear, dear friend Jenny said, you can live with me while you're doing this project. But it wasn't just me and my wife. It also involved our yellow lab, Rudy, living it. This is a dog who sheds her entire coat once per hour, which is um, something I didn't know about labs until we got one. So this was a lot going on at Jenny's house, and I kept saying to her, if this gets to be too much, let me know. We don't want to be in imposition. And she said, oh, my God, I love having you here. I would never kick you out. You guys are, can stay as long as you need to. And then last week she said, I'm selling the house, and it goes on the market tomorrow. <laughs> And I'm almost sure she did that so she didn't have to tell us to leave. (laughs) Like, she figured the new owners would do it. (laughs) 
oh, your friend doesn't live here anymore, so you guys and the lab also need to move on. So this week, we moved into the basement of the house, and the plan was we'll just stay in the basement. It's not great down there, but it's not as bad as the main floor of the house, which is like a super fun site. It's like a dystopian nightmare where there are no floors and there's just like 35 paint samples on every wall, which I'm pretty sure are all the same shade of white. Almost positive Lowe's is just messing with us at this point. So we were staying downstairs and then they installed the cable the other day and because of the house, the only place they could do it was up in the disaster area. And I came upstairs like Gollum, like on Lord of the Rings, like scuttling about, like looking and crawling over things. And I found these boxes of floor tile that hadn't been installed and I like piled them up like a shrine for the TV to go on. And I put the TV on top of the floor tiles and I plugged it in and it was like magical. (laughs) So this is the scene now in the upstairs of our house. We have this TV, we have one chair in the house. It's a really crappy folding chair that was just in the back of my car. It's the family chair at this point. It sits in front of the TV. Whoever gets there first gets to sit in the chair. And then the other person just like lurks behind them with a glass of wine, like watching the voice. And then my, my office in quotes is down the hall. It's a tiny room. It has no floors. My laptop, I balance it on top of a stack of boxes of hardwood flooring that haven't been opened yet. And if my wife isn't using the chair, then I get to use that, which is kind of a bonus. This is the crazy part. It took about 35 minutes for this to feel completely normal. Like, we are so adaptable as human beings, right? Like, our kitchen has no floors and no countertops, and I don't think we need them. Like, I am losing my mind and loving it in this house. So if you come over to our house in like three years and we have no floors and no countertops and one folding chair, that's what's going on. Just want to kind of give you guys a heads up. Uh, Let's get Bree Pruitt out here, why don't we? You can find Bree doing stand-up most nights of the week. That is when she's not sidekicking on the after-hours extravaganza that is late-night action with our own Alex Falcone. She also writes a column for the Portland Mercury called Let's Do It with Bree Pruitt, where she gives advice on things like how to write a proper online dating profile and how to seduce a stand-up comic, <laughs> if that's your kink. Please welcome Bree Pruitt to Livewire. Well, here I am. I am one chubby nerd. I'm extremely confident. Some middle school bully straight up dropped the ball. Because I'm fine. I'm good with my skin and bones. I love myself. Uh, Clap your hands if you've heard the expression BBW before. Who's heard that expression? Okay. Quite a few people who meet people to have sex with on the internet. Good for you. BBW, for those of you who don't know, is an acronym. Stands for Big Beautiful Woman. Something we came up with because we were having a real branding problem. You know what I mean? (laughs) Got in the lab, came up with BBW. I think it's an okay expression. I prefer to identify personally as a plus-size hottie. 
a PSH, a psh, if you will. That's my preferred. I'm a body positive person. I think everybody should love themselves. No one in this room should feel shame about the size of their body or what their body looks like, right? Just the smells and what is excreted from it. Love yourself. Uh, I'm from Portland, Oregon. Anybody else from Portland, Oregon? Okay, quite a few of us. We could take back the city tonight. No. Uh, I'm from Portland, Oregon. I think it's a pretty safe place to live, but I was catcalled the other day, you guys. Ugh, hate it, catcalling. I think I was catcalled. The guy was like, uh, hey, mama, hey. It was very strange. It was either catcalling me or he had an issue with his retainer. You know what I'm saying? The wet sound, not cute. And I didn't respond to that kind of thing. I don't respond to that kind of thing, so I just kept walking by. No, no thank you, no. And he, uh, you know, kept following me. And then I heard a thud, because dude had thrown a full can of beer, and it hit the wall behind me and rolled to the ground. And I, I turned to him, and I said, hey, next drink's on me. No, I ran, because it was so scary. Um, he was a scary dude. He had shirt off, and he was all cut up. His abs were all cut up, and he was wet. That's scary. Um, because that means he's either on drugs, right? Or he has the ego to work out every day. Whoa, it's terrifying. I don't like it when people say, uh, sometimes a lady's asking for it, for the way they're dressed. Sometimes she's asking for it, right? Because I've been thinking about that expression, asking for it. And if anyone is asking for it, is it not those gentlemen wearing full professional cycling costumes? <laughs> those two... They're yellow, right? They're so tight. I understand you want to take your sport seriously. But really, you got to be so aerodynamic. It's so tight. I would be more comfortable if you were naked on your bicycle. I can see everything. I can count every hair on your body, sir. It's so yellow. And really, you're sponsored? Who are you sponsored by? Tesla? Your other bicycle's a Tesla? I hate you. There's something about that look that makes me want to dominate them. I don't know what that feeling is. They come clip-clopping into a coffee shop. Yeah, it feels good. It's all punching up. Those guys are old, old, rich, and white. Um, Feels good. I am off the market, which is nice. I met my boyfriend on OkCupid. Have you guys heard of that website? Yeah. Okay, a couple of people, a bunch of liars. All right, that's cool. Uh, OkCupid is a great website, great place to meet people that you've already slept with and just kind of check in and see what's new. Most people. I wish I was joking. Portland's a very small city. Can't move here quick enough. Um, No, OkCupid is a great website. Um, And one thing you're going to see if you're a heterosexual woman dating on that website is a lot of pictures of men with their shirts off in front of mountains and streams. And they're all holding what? Fish, dead fish, you're right. I don't know why. It doesn't get me personally titillated excited. Mostly because I'm not, you know, a bear. And I don't care about your fish. But if I'm being honest with myself, I'll... I'll send those guys a message because halibut is $45 a pound. (laughs) Mama needs her omega-3s. Keep all this shiny. (laughs) Um, I am a a heterosexual person, like I mentioned, which is, you know, fine. 
Um, just the way it shook out. But being from Portland, being from the Pacific Northwest, I think I'm more in tuned with my sexual choices than other people. I, I was with a buddy of mine at a bar the other day, and this beautiful woman walked in. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I'm on the wrong team here. That girl is so beautiful. My friend was like, which girl? And I was like, that one. He's like, that chubby brunette? That girl looks like you. You're not gay. You're a narcissist. That's what's happening there. Thank you guys so much. I'm Rebrett. Uh, Bree's website is BreePruitt.com. You can check her out on Twitter, also at Bree Pruitt. We'll be right back. All right, before we get back to the show in earnest, I just want to let you know I am uh, sitting in my office, my actual house. There's a Roomba going in the hallway, so we'll see if that interrupts things. I'm staring at a huge calendar that I keep on the wall, and it has all of the upcoming Livewire Spring dates on it. Did you know that we're going to be recording on Wednesday nights now at the legendary Mississippi Studios in Portland, Oregon? And that if you are going to be in Portland between February 17th and June 1st on a Wednesday, you've got to go to LiveWireRadio.org to find out about all the incredible guests we're going to have on the show. It's like a date night for your brain. So don't miss it. Go to LiveWireRadio.org. All right, back to the show. I've got to deal with this Roomba. Simmer down. Pop Matters called our musical guest's latest release a strong candidate for Folk Album of the Year and says a new voice has joined those of the masters before him. Christopher Paul Stelling is a singer-songwriter. His latest release is Labor Against Waste. Please welcome Christopher Paul Stelling to Livewire. We headed north Come while winter we headed south With 
talking about the long haul on this show and here with a poem inspired by those words please welcome the author of hiding from salesman in the sliding glass door livewire pal poet scott Poole. breaking down if you wanted to get in my truck, you had to pound the door just below the handle. Taking corners, the dash lights would flicker like a broken marquee. Its red color was pale in many places where various chemicals had poured from the bed. The turd signals were crossed, so I was taught to think backwards. Stepping on the gas, you had to anticipate a three-second delay. Stepping on the brakes, you just had to anticipate. The temperature gauge always hovered near outrage, so it was a challenge planning a route to remain cool. And when orange rusty water began seeping from the engine, I sold that truck for $50. But while cleaning it out for the first time ever, I found the rolling noise that had charmed me for four years, a can of beer under the passenger seat. The can was silver, all the color rubbed clean off from hundreds of trips across the state to see you, but still it was unopened. And although the beer was horrible and warm, you knew I had to drink it. <laughs> it was like the first time you let me kiss your neck when I told you we had broken down and you pretended to believe me. Thank you. Scott Poole. 
You can pick up Scott's books, Hiding from Salesman and The Sliding Glass Door. Uh, This week's show is brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing, now featuring their Accumulation White IPA with a snowy head and a nicely bitter bite. It's a lot like winter. (laughs) Except that Accumulation is a beer and, and winter is a season of the year that's caused by one hemisphere of the earth being oriented away from the sun, so they're really not alike at all. Um, I don't know why we wrote that down um, for the ad. More information about the beer uh, can be found at newbelgium.com, and more information about winter uh, can be found on the internet, (laughs) probably. As we have uh, mentioned, we're talking about the long haul this hour, which is something our next guest has some firsthand experience with. In May of 2011, Rinker Buck and his younger brother jumped on the Oregon Trail in Nebraska in a restored 19th century covered wagon with three mules and a crazy-ass dream. Those are his words. (laughs) Buck's trip is detailed in his riveting book, The Oregon Trail, A New American Journey. Please welcome Rinker Buck to Livewire. Welcome to the show. Hi, Luke. How'd you get here? I walked <coughs> or drove with some friends. I didn't, I didn't bring the covered wagon. This was not a covered wagon kind of day? City streets. Are those bad for the wagon? Uh, no, the, the mules can kind of spook, especially the kind of people you have in towns like Portland. <laughs> this is not a mule-friendly environment? The, the book is all about, you know, we had this one mule back, and you'd go by like 20 mailboxes in a row in this deserted area of the Oregon Trail. In Nebraska, say. And the door to the mailbox would be shut. And then you go by, and the door to the mailbox is just open like a half an inch. Whoa, there she goes. She tries to break out a harness and run away. And my brother and I are each holding one line apiece with both hands to hold her back. So anything unusual will set that particular mule off. That doesn't seem like a problem in Portland. No. No, so that's why I didn't bring her today. Yeah, no, right. probably a good decision. I wanted to read from your book how you actually described yourself back in 2011 when you first hatched this idea. Sure. I had become that familiar subspecies of North American male, the divorced booze hound with a bad driving record and emerging symptoms of low self-esteem. <laughs> so it sounds like things were going pretty well for you. I'm really pissed off that I, that I put that in the book. You know, I didn't have to. It was more honest than I had to be. And, and the thing is, but it was just kind of like a throwaway line. And then people come up to you at airports, you know, they recognize you. And they go like, uh, oh, you're the unreformed booze hound, huh? You know, like. <laughs> well, I, I thought it was compelling because this book could have just been about the nuts and bolts of trying to do this trail. Right. But it also really is a story of, like, where you were in your life and mm-hmm. also your relationship with your brother. There right. are really so many sort of layers to this whole thing, which I found to be just totally interesting. A lot of people would think it was lunacy to try to do this trip by covered wagon, but you come from covered wagon people. Right, right. It's a study in what sounds insane to you. It feels normal to me. So what was happening was I was researching a book on the Oregon Trail, and I was fascinated by all the things that they didn't teach us in history class, and certainly you're never going to see it on a Hollywood Western. You know, women play these really path-breaking role in pioneering the trail. The merchants were awful to the pioneers and stuff like that. And then I came across this sentence that said, the Oregon Trail, the last documented crossing, was in 1909. 
And I said, ooh, that's a better book, you know. Let's just buy a covered wagon and a team of mules and do it, which is literally what we did. But we'd grown up on a horse farm. I have 10 brothers and sisters. My father was eccentric. So that's my personal autism. I just said, this, this feels normal. This feels good. Let's do it. And everyone else said to me, like, don't bring your laptop. I mean, your laptop will, you know, there's a lot of dust on the trail to wreck the laptop, you know. I wrote the book on that laptop that I brought on in the covered wagon, you know. So you learn a lot of stuff. Well, because your dad had spent a summer taking you guys around in a covered mm-hmm. wagon. Yes, we went from uh, our, our farm in northern New Jersey down to uh, Pennsylvania, Gettysburg. It only took us a week down and a week back, and we stayed for two weeks on an Amish farm. So that feels normal to me. It was a beautiful trip. I was seven years old. It loomed large in memory. And so that felt normal to me. That's why I got into being the divorced boo sound and everything, because I had to tell you a little bit about me personally, the, the author's voice. But you, I mean, you and your brother, I was fascinated by your childhood, because you write just kind of like in passing in this mm-hmm. book, that you and your brother also just like uh, reassembled an airplane in a barn, and then mm-hmm. you flew it across the country with like no instrumentation. Yeah, there were four... Um, instruments in that little Piper Cub, no radio. And when we got out over the deserts in Texas and stuff like this, this was 66. We were the youngest aviators ever to fly coast to coast. But you'd get out on the highways in Texas and you'd look down and you have a prevailing westerly on your nose, wind on your nose all the time. And the cars were passing us. <laughs> so, you know, you, you put yourself in this position and you just kind of have to accept, you know, what, what the results are. Well, one of the things you mentioned in this book that I had no idea was that so much of the Oregon Trail is still there. Yes. And the ruts are still there. And, yeah. and the people who are into this are called rut nuts. Rut nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you become a rut nut and you want to become a member of the Oregon California Trail Association, ACTA, and help preserve the trail, you take a rut swale identification and verification course. And you become, you can identify ruts, you know. But for people who are curious, it's a 2,100-mile trail from uh, Independence, Missouri, to uh, right about here where we sit. About 1,000 miles of it now is either improved roads or two-lane blacktops. Still the trail. It still functions as this trail, and there's all kinds of things that happen along the trail that the pioneers got started. And the other 1,000 miles, mainly through uh, western Nebraska, Wyoming, and Idaho, are, uh, and lots in Oregon here, original ruts. Took us, took us three weeks to get from Casper, Wyoming to Cokeville, Wyoming. We never hit a town. We never saw anybody. When our wheels broke crossing the Rockies at South Pass, and we were kind of in a desperate situation at that point to get especially to water because the cart the wheels broke on had our water, and that all dribbled out. We were 50 miles from Farson, Wyoming, and we had to get there, and no cell phone reception, so just... Starve, baby. We're talking to Rinker Buck. His book is The Oregon Trail, uh, where he and his brother retraced a huge portion of this trail. I'm amazed that the ruts are still there. I mean, were there that many wagons going? They just scored the earth that deeply? Yes. Between 1843 and the Civil War, 400,000 people crossed. Post-Civil War, another 500,000, 600,000 crossed as homesteaders or on the stagecoaches. You can read Mark Twain's account in Roughing It of Crossing the Trail. Uh, it was about an average of five people per wagon. It, I don't know what it comes out to, but 50 or 60,000 wagons 
These are 5,000 pound behemoths on iron tires and they leave ruts. I mean, from here you could drive down to a place called Vail, Oregon and see the beautiful ruts that climb uh, up toward Preston Pass uh, where the, the ruts just fanned out all over the hills. So yeah, they left an indentation. Who were these people that were leaving out on the Oregon Trail back in those days? Well, it, it, it's an interesting thing. This was one of the things that drew me to the book. There was something called the Panic of 1837, and you know we, we talk about the recession of 2008. This was nothing. You know, half the banks in America closed. People were suddenly homeless. They they couldn't uh, borrow money to buy seed and that sort of thing. The other thing, and this will shock you, Luke, but you know, America was not a happy place to live then religiously. Okay, something called the Second Great Awakening had happened. And everybody was leaving the old mainstream, mainline churches for evangelical sects like the Baptists and the Methodists, only to get into the Baptists and Methodists to realize within the Baptists and Methodists, they really fight a lot, you know, over important stuff like whether we're elected to be saved or whether we have to save ourselves. So small town America was an awful place and people would leave in huge groups. A whole church would form a covered wagon train. And then they get to like Plum Creek, Nebraska. You can read this in the Pioneer Journals. And they go, long, hot day, really needed to rest right away. These are the Baptists. But we got there and a group of Methodists were already camped there. <laughs> you know, so let's go another two miles, you know, to stay away from them. So um, that's why I wrote the book and that's why I found it fascinating. Yeah, the economy was bad and there were all these panics and people needed opportunity. But they were also sick of their neighbors and fighting over religion. Uh, I'll just remind everybody, we're talking to Rinker Buck. His book is The Oregon Trail. This is Livewire Radio. You talked about how tough life on the trail could be mm-hmm. and that people would die and then they would just meet other people on the trail and marry them. Sure. Um, uh, marriage was a pretty practical institution in those days. Most uh, uh, death in childbirth or death on the trail from cholera or whatever was very, very common in those days. And many men reached maturity, 60, 70 years old, having married two or three times because their wife would die in childbirth and so forth. Or a lot of uh, older men with children, wouldn't, their wife would die, and they'd marry like a 17-year-old girl and just you know, get started all over again. And so the trail took four months, so they'd get to like Farewell Bend, Oregon, and they'd pause there for three or four days just to rest up and party and this kind of thing. You're leaving the Snake River behind now to come across the deserts of Oregon. And everybody who was now suddenly widowed on the trail or single or whatever, they get married. It was like match.com of 1850-something. Think of it. it. It's a better system, you know? (laughs) You don't have to go through all that thing like, you know, buy her a ring and, and, you know, flowers and and answer all these questions, eHarmony.com, you know, like, are we compatible, you know? Just get married. Have you had the cholera... Yeah. No, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, or, you know, like, oh, my husband died of cholera, too. Uh, Hi, I'm Roseanne. (laughs) What was um, the most challenging part about this trip for you and your brother doing this in, uh, you know, 2011? The land navigation was a lot harder than than I thought. And, like, we'd get somewhere, like, uh, in central Wyoming, very, very remote country. I mean, we didn't see a mailbox for, like, a week. Like Thank that. God with that one donkey. Yeah, that one mule. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Sweetwater River went over its banks. It was a, a high water year, 2011. And the trail follows the Sweetwater River, and all of a sudden, oh, 
there's no trail here. And I would have to walk ahead through the hills and just basically blaze a new trail for us. I said, at one point, I waved to my brother, and I said, bring the team up, we're all here. And he waves me back, and I'm kind of annoyed at him, and I go back there, and he goes, he goes, Rank, I don't want to say anything, but that's a cliff ahead of us. And I'm, like, mad at him, you know, where does he think he can navigate, you know? He says, walk up there and look, and I walk up there and look, look over the cliff. Whoa, there's no way we're taking the mules down that thing. We'd have to take the wagon through sagebrush and stuff. So that was hard. The other thing that was hard was essentials. What we do in our life today is we insulate ourselves. We alienate ourselves from the forces of nature. So our houses are cool in the summer and warm in the winter, you know. I think that's pretty new. That's very new for man. We don't have to face wind, you know. The wind was exhausting. We usually had a 25 to 30 mile an hour wind on our nose every day. And it became, it, it, I, I had never realized that wind was that dehydrating. Uh, searching for water, I mean, there were days we had to go 50 miles to get to the next source of water. So all these kind of destroyer-preserver essentials of life, I learned that it was the simple things that were tough, you know. Were people just made of tougher stuff back in the original days of the Oregon Trail? When, one day we were going along and a wind was blowing and we had a sandstorm that day and the sandstorm will pick up sandstorm is a misnomer because it'll pick up little pebbles and stuff and knock them in your face and knock your sunglasses off and stuff and it was just you know I had barbecue marks on my face from my sunglasses you know because they got so hot you know so uh, my brother and I looked at each other it was just a a long rough day beautiful romantic but rough and uh, we just looked at each other Nobody did this because they wanted the adventure. You know, all that crap you read about in the history books, Manifest Destiny. You know, there was no pioneers going on. Hey, let's go do Manifest Destiny. <laughs> they were desperate. They had to do it. And that's what we learned on the trail. You would not do this unless you, you had to do it, you know. Did this have the desired effect on you as a person, as a, as a booze hound? Well, this is a, actually, that's a good question. This is a radio show. But there's a bar right outside where we're doing this radio show. Um, Are we going to find you there later? I'm a changed, I'm a changed person. Yes. But what I mean, though, I mean, you know, putting aside the drinking or the not drinking, just generally, your life. It sounds like in the book you were looking Mm -hmm. for a bit of a reset, right? And also a change of perspective, right? Do you feel like now it's I don't know, four or five years after the event, did it actually do that in your life? Yes, it was really great. It was a wonderful vindication. One of the things about my life, because I've been a journalist all my life, and then print journalism kind of died, and they're not rewarding you the way they used to. But I've been this romantic guy. I just want to go out and read a lot of books and see new things and have an active life and you know, not be in an office all day and, and that sort of thing. And so this was kind of the ultimate vacation that way. And, and so it was a lot of uh, verification to me, especially when the book was done and people liked it, because... I was just very indulgent and was completely romantic. I just wanted to ride across the plains and sleep on a bedroll and, you know, in the sagebrush and everything. So unlike the people who had to do and the I original Oregon Trail, you were doing this because it was fun for you. Yeah, well, like when the mules ran away, there's that chapter when the mules ran away on me that day, and, and uh, I had to catch them. I just happened to have on a pair of imitation suede Walmart slippers, and I just needed that. Yeah, it Maybe that's me. what they were angry about. Uh, oh, the mules looked at me, the mules looked at me, and they had a way of looking at me, and, and they're going like, you know, they're the ones who are allegedly asinine. But they would look at me, and they go, you look so asinine in those Walmart slippers. 
Rinkerbuck, ladies and gentlemen. The book is The Oregon Trail. This is Livewire Radio. Speaking of traveling across the country, we're brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, now with non-stops from Portland to Austin, taking you from homebrew to barbecue in around four hours. Alaska Airlines, keeping you connected non-stop. More information at alaskaair.com. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Ergo Depot, makers of the Jarvis Standing Desk. And now, if you want a smaller footprint, but you still want the stability of a desk with some real substance, there's the Jarvis Jr., just as strong as its dad. But it takes up almost half the space, and it's adjustable at the touch of a button. So you can stand when you're feeling like the go-getter you are and sit when you dang well please. Because you're an adult, and you can make your own choices. The Jarvis Jr., allowing the floor space challenged to stand prouder. Get more information at ergodepot.com. Hey, welcome back to Livewire from PRI, Public Radio International. My name is Luke Burbank. I am your host. We're talking about the long haul this week. And we were just talking to a guy, Rinker Buck, who traveled the Oregon Trail. Now, a lot of people actually know about the Oregon Trail because of the computer game Oregon Trail that a lot of people played in elementary and middle school through the 80s and the 90s. Um, In the game, kids controlled a family of settlers as they plod along from Missouri to Oregon. Now, of course, they have recovered letters from the actual Oregon Trail, but we've yet to hear from someone within the computer game. So here now, recently uncovered, is the Journal of Daniel Smith, who traveled the Oregon Trail with his family in 1848 inside the computer game Oregon Trail owned by 10-year-old Braden Welchin. August 12, 1848, day one. Today we embark upon our great journey to the fertile Willamette Valley along the Oregon Trail. The Lord, who is known to us by the name Braden, guides my hand and he will keep us safe until we reach salvation. He is in the fifth grade, which vexes me a touch, but I trust in him. Although I am an experienced farmer, He has changed my occupation at the last second to a banker so he could have an additional $60 to, quote, buy more bullets and stuff. I take along my my family, my wife Emily, and my children, Jed, Mary, and Sally. Although they are good Christian names, the Lord has decided to change them. My wife apparently will now be called Pizza, and my children, Raptor, Butt, and Shaquille. I do not understand these changes, but the Lord doth move in mysterious ways, and so it is He who I must put my trust. August 13th, day two. We have been on the trail for just a day, and yet the Lord has opted to have us stop and hunt even though we have over 200 pounds of food on the wagon. 
Guiding my aim with his hand, I shot and killed nine buffalo, each weighing over 1,500 pounds. All told, that is 13,000 pounds of meat. I can carry a hundred of that back to the wagon. The Lord knows this, and yet had me just go absolutely nuts killing buffalo with my buffalo rifle. September 2nd, day 23. My children are ill, and my wife, Pizza, is racked with typhoid. The Lord has set us on a grueling pace, and he does not stop to allow them rest. Lord, can we rest, I pray? Just click the button on the side there that says rest. Not to take the Lord's name in vain, but it doesn't seem that difficult, Braden. Near nightfall, we approached the Snake River. Despite a depth of over 80 feet, the Lord instructed us to ford it and march our oxen into the river so he could save $5 on a ferry. Jed and Sally, I mean, Raptor and Shaquille drowned. Now, I know Braden, our God, has a plan, but I do not understand why, when all the information about a particular river is known ahead of time, why we would just, and we're hunting again. Okay, we're hunting. I guess we're just going to hunt right now. Hunting with the grief of my two dead children is a trying ordeal. I fear this here Oregon Trail is a cursed place. Last entry, December 18th, day 81. The Lord Braden has finally returned to guide me after a lengthy absence where he controlled an Italian man by the name of Super Mario. Does he not understand that when he abandons us, we cannot progress down the trail, but instead must sit and wait, exposed to the elements? Last night, Bud died of hypothermia. Oh, cursed God, why, when I cried to you for help, did you trade eight boxes of clothing for five bullets? We had plenty of bullets, and yet you parted with our last coat for my dearest butt. I am lost. I am alone. What the hell? Here comes some buffalo. Lock and load. That was Sean McGrath reading the touching words of Daniel Smith from inside the Oregon Trail video game. All right, let's get Christopher Paul Stelling out here. Speaking of long hauls, he's been on tour for five months. He's got five more months in front of him. Probably bring him to a town near you, which you could find out about at ChristopherPaulStelling.com. Please welcome Christopher Paul Stelling back to Livewire. water sieve. I don't still call you a friend till the dying ends. And if you ever thought you were infinite to you, whether I say 
Gonna be able to shelter out of my bones and skin It's just fine if you're not sorry I'm afraid I may be in time Try so hard to want for nothing Not a damn thing is mine Although the thought of you at times makes me cringe Ain't no sweetness in revenge No Lined up bed for the races and barbed wire Thinking if and when you suit is out I'd lay down with you like a fool Heard it said it's best to let the wicked all Fall on their own snares Ain't it hard to know the difference Though we both just been so cruel I'm not talking about a forgiveness That would only serve me Talking about forgiving all I thought we could be And I know sometimes I fly off the hinge Ain't no sweetness in revenge, no. Ain't no sweetness in revenge, no. Strained a dusty, lonesome desert highway Find when you got home I was sitting waiting there for you Heard you sighing to your breath is gorgeous Don't know when to quit when it comes to Standing by your side ain't much more I'd rather do Now I'm black and blue and bloody From this war I never win Lord, I'm tired and defeated Everybody heard my spin I just hope And is where the better things began Ain't no sweetness in revenge, no. Ain't no sweetness in revenge, no. Ain't no sweetness in revenge. Ain't no sweetness in revenge, no. That was Christopher Paul Stelling. And that's our show. Thank you very much. Just, uh, head back into my little chamber backstage here at Revolution Hall. That's our show for you. It was a long haul, right? But it was fun. A uh, big thanks to Bree Pruitt for showing up and being so funny. Also to Rinker Buck for telling us about that amazing adventure he had. I really, really recommend that book, The Oregon Trail. I mean, if you're a history buff at all or just a fan of, um, you know, mules, which there are multiple chapters dedicated to, check that book out. 
Also, Scott Poole with an amazing poem, and then the music of Christopher Paul Stelling. Man, that could not have been more ideal for what we were talking about. So definitely check Christopher Paul Stelling out if he comes to a town near you. This show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hameister is our head writer and a producer. Jim Brunberg is also a producer, editor, and member of our house band, along with Dave Jorgensen, Jonathan Newsom, and Ned Failing. Jason Rouse is associate producer, part of our writing team, and also our ailing announcer. Get better soon, Jason. Plus, we had uh, help from Alex Falcone, who's on our writing team, and um, announced admirably this program. Plus, Sean McGrath. I will never think of the Oregon Trail game the same after hearing Sean's dispatches from the trail. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Our lighting by Greg Cardi. Our photographer is Jenny Baker. Also, thanks to our marketing director, Laura Haddon, our development director, Kim Bergstrom, and our operations manager, Lauren Masterson. Elia Unverzat is our talent coordinator. Emily Hempson helps us with talent transportation. Emmy Vaughn and Chris O'Neill are the friendly volunteer faces that greet people as they come here to Revolution Hall. Plus, Joseph Linus Jordan helped us out with the merch for this show, so thanks to all of them. Hey, for more information about our show or becoming a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at LiveWire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, and we will see you next week. PRI Public Radio International. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of LiveWire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the LiveWire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are LiveWire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about LiveWire. And thank you.